I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. On episode number 155 today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Lorraine Pantello. Lorraine is a somatic sex uh, therapist, a pleasure coach, and body worker based in the western suburbs of Melbourne. She has been working in the field of sexuality for the past 25 years, starting out in the strip clubs of the UK and moving into therapy and body work in 2015. They work with all genders, specializing in working with people who have experienced sexual and physical trauma and people recovering from surgery and illness, helping them to feel more pleasure and restore sexual function. She works both online and in person, offering one-to-one sessions and group workshops. And you can find Lorraine on Instagram at Lorraine Pentello, all one word, and that is spelled L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E. P-E-N-T-E-L-L-O, or on Facebook, also at Lorraine Pentello, and also on their website, LorrainePentello.com. And in this episode, the two of us talk uh, about trauma. Uh, I share a little bit about my own experiences of trauma, the kind of difference between big T trauma and little T trauma, um, how you know traumatic experiences manifest in the body, uh, and how they can hinder our experiences of pleasure, but also kind of interrupt sexual function as well. So we talk about feeling pleasure after trauma, as the name of the episode suggests, as well as how men can learn to acknowledge their own experiences of trauma. And um, we offer some practical advice for moving forward from there. So if this is something that resonates with you, it's something that is maybe close to something you've experienced, then I highly recommend listening. Lorraine offers a bunch of really practical advice, which is fantastic. Um, And we unpack some of the uh, nuances around trauma as well. So it was lovely to talk with Lorraine and I had such an enjoyable time getting to meet her. Uh, so I hope you enjoy listening. His interests were mainly masculine and his success at sports made him sure of himself. He could take girls in his stride just as he did games. Mother, is it wrong to feel warm and affectionate when you... When you were the boy you really like? No, dear, it is not wrong. When young people come and ask me, should we get married now? I usually ask them a few questions first, like, have you known each other long enough to be sure that you are choosing the right person? And Lorraine, you and I can start, and the way that I like to start is with a little invitation. It's an invitation for you to share three things. Who are you? What do you do? And I'd love to know, what are you really passionate about as well? Oh, can I start with what I'm passionate about? <laughs> you sure can. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm really passionate about smashing through the misconceptions that cause suffering for people, misconceptions about sex, gender, how our human bodies function and how our emotions function. And that just really gets me going. And, and that drives my work. And makes up who I am as well. So I suppose I've answered all three three questions with that. Where did that passion come from? Oh, I came from my own suffering. So I don't know where to start, where to start with that suffering. So when I when I noticed that I actually was suffering, 
was around about 2014. I was still working in strip clubs back then. And I had so much pain in my pelvis. I would have sex and it would hurt. And I was starting to get very resistant to having sex and noticing that I was coming up against all these very um, similar patterns in my sex life. And I thought I need to make a change here. So I went out and I sort of started discovering things, new things. I, I discovered sexological bodywork, which I, I trained in in 2015. And that was like a mixed bag of many different things. So there was the, the psychological aspect of, of sexuality. There was gender. There was um, scar remediation, which really helped with my pelvic pain. There was core erotic themes and delving into sort of the patterns that come up for us in our, our sexual expression, and that was really interesting. Um, and the thing that really stood out for me, though, was trauma, learning about trauma and how that expresses itself in the body and in our relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask, you don't necessarily have to share about your own personal trauma, but I'm curious around like how trauma for you expressed itself in your body. And then a, a secondary question would be like, what do you notice in other people's bodies when you work with them? Mm. Oh, wow. So, yeah, as you're asking me, I'm noticing it in my body right now. So I can describe what I'm feeling. I'm feeling a little bit of tightness in my rib cage, <sighs> a little bit of lightness and fluttering around my eyes. So I'm just going to breathe into that. Mm. And I'm just feeling that expansion now and that dropping back into my body. And this is how I, I tend to notice it shows up for other people that they have like something changes. They might start to get this feeling of butterflies or anxiety or constriction and tightening. And that really affected my sex life. It made my pelvis clamp up and tighten. It made it really difficult for me to access pleasure and sensation. Do you notice patterns in other people as well? Is there like a, is there like a, I mean, I'm curious with regards to like your clients, is that, are they, uh, do you work with, with cis women um, predominantly or are you working with all people? I'm curious around like, you know, your clientele. I work with all people. Um, I think less so cis women. I've only started working with cis women in the past seven years. As you can imagine, I've been in the industry for 25 years and thousands and thousands and thousands of straight cis men like that. <laughs> so they were my number one client for the first 20 years of, of, of working. Um, and I do work a lot these days with genderqueer people. I'm genderqueer myself. I'm non-binary and gender fluid. I flip between the two. Um, it's nice that some people allow us to have a box now and it's usually non-binary. So that's the one that I click. <laughs> and just in case anyone was wondering, my pronouns are all the pronouns, he, she, and they. But oh, thank you for he sharing. is my favorite. <laughs> okay, great, great. I um, okay, so uh, I, I guess I'm curious around like the you know the, the first twenty years and the thousands of cis men that you have worked with. Did you notice patterns for their trauma showing up in their body? I'm curious if there was like something you like. Oh, I can kind of tell, you know, because of this particular thing that's showing up that there's probably got some trauma there. Like, I'm just curious if there's anything that stands out to you. Oh, so many things. So many things. When I see men these days, they're showing up because they've got um, lack of libido 
or they're getting anxiety attacks when they're trying to have sex. Um, a huge one is erection problems. So they're struggling to get an erection. That A lot of the time there's something going on emotionally there and, and it can be trauma and it can be really invisible as well. Um, one that I see a lot of as well is um, hyper or hyposensitivity of the glands. So that's showing up as... And, it can be misdiagnosed. So, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I can't give them a diagnosis, but um, I do get a lot of clients coming to see me that they struggle with thermosis, so the, the pulling back of the foreskin. Um, and when we delve deeper and we explore, so if, if they're here in session, we might try with, with my gloved hands to, to move the foreskin back and to notice if there's any um, tightening around that edge of the foreskin. And quite often it can be trauma that's showing up of hypersensitivity of the glands so they can actually pull the foreskin back, but they mm. don't want to because Interesting. it is emotionally and physically painful to pull that foreskin back. It's like the, the penis is hiding from the world and doesn't want to come out. Mm, yeah, I appreciate you you offering that example of phimosis because the more I talk about it, the more... Um, I do get men say to me like, hey, I've got this. Like, I didn't know this was a thing. And I think part of it is because they don't see a lot of other penises, you know, and like they're or maybe the only penises they see in porn. And they think like, I mean, there's not a lot of representation of like penises with phimosis in porn. So like, you know, they see like all these penises that do pull all the way back and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm, something's wrong with me. I'm, you know, I've got a you know broken penis. I have, something's wrong with my penis, um, and so they feel a lot of shame and they don't speak about it. And so every time, it's without fail, every time I speak about phimosis on my social media, I get an influx of guys go, "Oh my god, I didn't know that this was like I thought it was just me." And like, thank you for you know talking about it. So yeah, that's a really interesting one. I hadn't thought necessarily about the the sensitivity of the glands and kind of like the the. You know, trauma that's related to that. That's really fascinating. Um, what is a what now that I'm on that train, what is a remedial practice around that, I suppose, to kind of help with that? Mm, oh, it, it's quite easy. So it's it's stretching the foreskin. Uh, we talked about phimosis, or we're talking about the hypersensitivity of the glands. Let's go for both. Let's start with the phimosis okay. itself <laughs> and then the hypersensitivity. Yeah. So that the phimosis tends to be the, the a physiological issue. It's it's I mean there can be emotion and trauma attached to it, especially if there's been some kind of injury, like with some kind of really fast masturbation or when the, oh, I usually have a penis nearby that I can grab it. It's in the other room. <laughs> when the, the frenulum, the part of the penis that, that attaches to the foreskin kind of looks like the, the part underneath the tongue, sometimes that can get injured in fast sex or fast masturbation and then that can sort of lead to a buildup of scar tissue or some people can just naturally have this scar tissue so a way to work with that is to massage the scarring so with people who have like a, a full phimosis where they can't pull it back at all we can generally tend to soften it but i don't see a lot of people with a, a complete full phimosis being able to retract it fully. Um, they often need things like steroid creams from the doctor or, or even surgery to 
to correct that. But with a partial thermosis where it pulls back a little bit or it pulls back when the penis is soft, but not when it's hard, we can massage around that scar tissue. And we can actually start to feel if we can get the fingers inside and do some massage around. And doing that with organic castor oil can really help to stretch and break down that scar tissue and just little bit by little bit by little bit. And what we can notice as we do this is sometimes that hypersensitive hypersensitivity can show up later on or the hyposensitivity because the scar tissue is numbing the tissues as well. Um, and then we can deal with the emotional issues that come up from that pulling back of that foreskin or perhaps even the incident that led to that might even flash up as a memory as they start to pull that foreskin back. Yeah, appreciate you speaking into that. I'll share, you know, I this is a bit of a personal share. I think I've said it on the podcast before, um, but I have torn my frenulum twice and part of the, uh, and I didn't, I didn't go and see a, uh, I, I feel like I was pretty um, on top of my recovery, let's say, um, and I didn't necessarily need to go and see a urologist or a sexological body worker because I was doing a lot of massage myself and I was using castor oil and I was like really taking my time to, um, like make sure that the scar tissue didn't build up so that I didn't, you know, result in uh, paraphimosis, for example. So, so, but, but the, interestingly that I, I vividly remember both times that it happened and there are instances where I'll be self-pleasuring or partnered sex and like going a little bit too quick or I'm rushing because both instances happened because I was rushing and, um, and so if I, no if I notice that rushing sensation in my body, I'll get a flash of like, <laughs> this sounds so horrible and for, uh, sorry for squeamish people, I'll get a flash of blood from the situation that happened when it was torn. And um, and it's like a whoa, like a, almost like a flashback, like a PTSD flashback. That, that sounds so minimizing of, of actual PTSD, but like it, it is like a little activation triggering of like a, of a, of a traumatic event, right? Um, and if, if anyone's listening to this and they have torn their, their friend limb, they'll know about the situation with regards to blood. So like, hopefully that's, you know, people are, are resonating with that if they've, they've seen that. Um, but like, it was like this um, psychological experience as well that I had to process in addition to the physiological, you know, remediation that I was doing with my own genitals. So like, appreciate like you mentioning the energetic and emotional side of things as well, because like that, Oftentimes, I think for a lot of guys, goes under acknowledged. You know, they're like, oh, "I'll do the physical, I'll go, I'll do, I'll do the physical therapy, right? I'll go and help my." And this is like a super non-sexual context. Like, I mean, I've torn my hamstrings, for example, a number of times from playing sport when I was growing up, and I'll go to a physio, and I'll get the you know the relevant massages and things like that to make sure my you know my body is better at the physical level. But like, then there's a little bit of trepidation. Right, the next time I go and play soccer, right, or the next time I go in for that tackle, or the next time I try and overexert myself, and like that's the that's psychological, right? There's an emotional element there that needs to be processed. And I think like I use that sporting analogy because hopefully that lands for some of the guys listening, right? Um, because there is this acknowledgement of like you know, there's emotional stuff underneath the physical ailment or the physical injury or whatever it is that's happened physically. So, so I think maybe if we could dive into that. A little bit more is that something you feel kind of more yeah totally cool cool uh, can i ask you as well when you said sure. you had a flash of 
blood was that a, a memory like a flashback a memory of the blood or, or you saw the blood like there was yeah, physical was a, blood there no nah, it was well i saw physical blood of course when it happened but the flash of memory was yeah was was what i was referring to so it was like a flash uh flashback to the blood yeah. that i saw at the time and i was like i get a flash of that when i notice that i'm rushing into something mm, and it, that yeah that is how trauma shows up and and what you said before when you said you didn't want to minimize other people's PTSD, that that is something I see a lot of men doing in my practice, um, especially around sex. So this oh this is this is not as as important as other people's trauma. This is minimizing it, and that that is something that I am so passionate about working with as well. Because I want to acknowledge that you experienced trauma, Cam. That was trauma. And your flashbacks, they're valid. They're just as valid as, as any other traumatic experience that, that people are having. Yeah, thank you for, for acknowledging that. I, I, um, this is semi-related. I don't want to make this whole podcast about me, but I, I hope that by sharing this, we can kind of dive into it a bit more. Something that I do know that I specifically try and minimize and downplay is, um, and I've shared this on the podcast, I know for sure, um, is some is sexual assault that I uh, had received, um, received or like, you know, was inflicted upon me, whatever language, I don't know what the correct language is, I suppose, to talk about it. But like, um, it was a, it was a, you know, a uh, woman tried to have intercourse with me whilst I was passed out drunk, you know, and like at the time I, and I, you know, I have shared this on numerous occasions, but like at the time my mates celebrated that, right? Cause they were like, oh, look at you. You can still get laid even though you're not even trying, right? The kind of like rhetoric that was, you know, um, that was used. And so it wasn't for it wasn't for several years that I like kind of realized, oh shit, that was actually not cool and not okay, and my boundaries are violated. And like that, you know, maybe and and like part of me is like I don't feel super traumatized by it if I like think about it and like reflect on it and notice it in my body. It's not like a big. It's kind of like. And this is what a conversation I wanted to have with you about is like big T trauma and little T trauma. It feels very much little T trauma to me. Like it just not really like, it doesn't really impact me too much. But I recognize that I like have for a long time gone, it, this isn't an issue. This isn't a problem because like, yeah, I you know, didn't, didn't impact me or didn't affect me. But like, it, like it, it is, it wasn't okay. You know what I mean? I think like getting to that acknowledgement has been something that has taken a long time and especially wasn't helped by the friends that I had at the time being like, man, you're the man for being able to do this, you know, and like kind of celebrating the um, assault. Uh, so wanted to share that because that was, that I feel like speaks specifically to what you were, what you were talking about just then. And like, um, yeah, seeing if there's maybe a space we can dive into from from there if uh, that's something that you're noticing with your clients how do you work with them around like acknowledging their experiences of trauma because definitely men struggle to do that i feel oh it's invisible it's really invisible especially when it's from women so let's let's say for example are you straight cam do you just are yeah you just yeah attracted to women? straightish i suppose let's say yep so let's let's gender flip it if that had been a man that was trying to have anal sex with you while you were passed out, how would your friends have reacted to that? Yeah, probably the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is something that, that I, I put to, to clients when they're saying, oh, yeah, 
even clients who recognize that they were sexually assaulted. Like, let's say I, I, I work with a lot of people who not necessarily men now, but they're assigned male at birth um, and, and, and men as well who have experienced sexual trauma in their childhood from women or girls. And they can recognize that, yes, something happened and, and I was young. I didn't want it to happen, but it's, it, it's not that bad. It's, but if it had been a man and some of these people had been abused by men, they sort of seem to be, even if they're not straight, they seem to be more concerned and more upset by the men that assaulted them than the women. But on a body-based reaction, it plays out. It plays out in their relationships. It plays out in their nervous system. It plays out in their erections and their hyper or hypersensitivity of their glands. Um, and it, it is so invisible in our society because men are just supposed to want it, especially from women. That's the sort of like heterosexual um, narrative out there. And when I started studying sexological body work and, and some of my other studies as well and, and moving in the sex positive community and I started to learn about consent and I started to see how these patterns played out in myself and how I had been part of the problem. I pushed men into sex that they didn't want. I try to have sex not when they're unconscious but I tried to sort of when they're very drunk and they can't consent and I noticed the times when I bullied men into sex and I'm, I'm pansexual. I've never done that with a woman because I saw that as wrong. You don't do that to women. I've never done that with anyone who is not cis male, but the cis men in my life, I had, I had done that. And then when I started to notice how my shadow side was drawn to that in some ways, like this, um, I, I was a teenager and I had my sexual awakening in the 90s with girl power and sex in the city. And there's this whole thing. You go out and you take it and you fuck. That's what you do. Girl power. And the, the shadow side of that is we flip it and we take it from the men. And we tell the men that they want it, even if they don't. Um, and there's there was a lot of power in that. And a lot of, you know, we're taking charge. We, we're flipping flipping the script on men. And then when I actually saw how that was playing out in my life, I was just disgusted and had to work through a lot of the shame that came from that. Um, and, and still, even these days, I see it a lot more often, but it still is invisible to me sometimes. And I have to flip the gender and look at it as if, if this was a man doing this to a woman, would this be okay? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a valuable way to kind of help conceptualize it there was you know when i first shared about this on social media there was an interesting little discussion i had with someone um in the comments of this particular post which was around because i did a bit of research on like how in the uk especially rape is classified and the differences between like and so in the uk and again it was very contextually specific here like it is Dependent upon penetration, and so if if a you know we we'll just use a heteronormative example here, if a you know woman quote unquote rapes a man, it has to involve like penetration of his body. So if it's just if it's just you know penis in vagina assault, then that's not classified as rape in the UK. 
Uh, it's, it's classified as um, under other sexual offences uh, in the category of made to penetrate. And, um, and so I like, had this conversation. And again, this kind of feels like comparing traumas a little bit, which is like a weird thing to do. But like, you know, is it, uh, and I'll just say the way that it's phrased in my head, and this is going to sound horrible, but like, is it as traumatic to be made to penetrate than it is to be penetrated only like as a cis man, you know, like that's the, that was kind of the conversation that we were having. And it was a colleague of mine and I kind of, I really respect her. And so it was like an interesting conversation to have. Um, but like, that would be, you know, I, I'd be, and this you know, sounds so horrible to be like, I would love to speak to someone who's like been assaulted in both ways. But like, what a horrible thing to like wish upon a person to have a conversation with them about. But like, I think there'd be a lot of value in like unpacking the trauma experienced from like being penetrated and being made to penetrate. And like, are there differences in that? Because, you know, in a legal sense, we've made distinctions, but like, is that based on people's lived experiences or is it just based on legal jargon, you know, or is it based on advocacy around like, you know, um, I suppose like, you know, sexual assault advocacy for survivors. I don't know. So it's just like, but that's like a fucked, I say fuck, that's like a fucked yeah. conversation to kind of have, right? Yeah. Because like you're, you're kind of like pitting trauma and experiences against one another, which is kind of like a weird thing to do. So I don't know. I'm just kind of like spitballing there and hopefully that came across as, as you know, sensitive as I could. But um, yeah, I was curious to know if you had thoughts around that. I think it, it, it's individual case by case um, of the circumstances around it. Maybe the, the, the age, the, you know, where the person was and, and what they're experiencing. Um, one thing I have noticed around people who were assigned male at birth and had experienced sexual assault in their childhood from, from women and girls as well, is that they often can view their body as dangerous. So they start to view their penis as something dangerous, like a dangerous weapon, and they, they become afraid of sex in that way. Like, and I've noticed that that is quite a common, not for everyone, but it is quite common for people with penises to have that experience, whether they were abused by someone who was a woman or a man. And I, yeah, I, oh, that's kind of shifting it a little bit to something else, but. Yeah. Why do you why do you think that is? Why do you think it, it, even though they were the person who you know, suffered the uh, abuse or assault, why do they then think that it's their penis that is the weapon? I'm not sure. I think it's every the wiring just gets all sort of rewired, and suddenly sex becomes a dangerous thing. Using their penis becomes a dangerous thing because it, it felt dangerous when they were a kid. And I think when, when kids are exposed to those really high um, sympathetic charge, and especially if there was some arousal in it as well, that can get really confusing for people. So that their bodies have let them down. They, they might have felt some pleasure in it because when bodies are touched in a certain way, they feel a certain way. That doesn't mean that they wanted it. That doesn't mean that it was enjoyable. It just means that that's how their bodies have reacted. So that when they come into a consensual context and their bodies are doing that again, it's it's like they're being abused, raped, um, assaulted all over again. They're, they're reliving that trauma. Yeah, I have read research around the 
high instances of erections when you know people that have penises and this i think in the context of this research it was cis men and i think they looked at heterosexual and homosexual men like the high instances of erections during sexual assaults you know of, of them being the the victim of it um and then i think there was other research which was looking again at the same demographic of men that there was an ejaculation that occurred maybe 20% of the time as well. And so, and of course, you know, ejaculation is very synonymous with orgasm as well and pleasure. Uh, and so, yeah, there was this, this, so that, you know, during the qualitative part of this research where they were asking these men about their experiences, there was a very common theme of feeling betrayed by their bodies of being like, you know, I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. It was against my will. And yet my body responded and reacted in a way and, and, you know, ejaculated and 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 so that for them at least for some of the men at least in that that survey they they were like well did i actually enjoy it did i actually did i actually want it right did i you know and, and it caused them to to really question and then you know that i've heard as well this is like you know perpetuated by by mainstream opinion that like well you must have enjoyed it you got an erection you must have liked it you you came must have been good for you, right? Like you, you know, it's part of you must have liked it, you know. So um, I can see why that would be like a really tough thing to grapple with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've seen many times working, um, doing body work with people who've experienced trauma, people with penises, that I call it a trauma gasm. So it's it's, um, and I've, I've seen it with people with vulvas as well, where the body goes into all the kind of what looks like arousal and looks like orgasmic, you know, all the muscles are twitching in the right where they're making all the right noises. There's fluid moving, maybe it's ejaculation, maybe it's um, vaginal lubrication, but they are having a panic attack. They are going into a trauma response. And um, I've, I've not gone into research as deeply as you do, but I've, I've Googled it and nowhere can I find this this phenomenon and I, I've named it traumagasm because that's what it is and to someone who was having sex with that person who wasn't checking in who didn't know about their history it could look like consent it could look like this person oh they're enjoying it they, they said no to start with they changed their mind and went along with it and now they're having a great time so there could be somebody walking around in the world that thinks they gave this person an amazing time and this person has been raped mm. I appreciate you you using that um, example because something I often talk about with uh, you know whoever will listen really is um, this idea that uh, like arousal isn't specifically sexual. You know what I mean? Like arousal is a cluster of characteristics of sympathetic nervous system activation, right? Like that's kind of how I try and firstly categorize arousal because you can be like super aroused but not turned on, right? And not being like, you know, not being, and not being in your pleasure either. Like I would, I'd probably argue that most of us are aroused most of the time because we're in, you know, our fight or flight response. We're in sympathetic dominance. And so like, you know, to take it like a pleasure positive, like approach that, like my strategy is like, you know, come back down to a baseline, like get rid of all that, like non-sexy arousal out of your system by like shaking or moving or doing whatever you do to kind of like come back into the parasympathetic nervous system and then build erotic arousal, you know, sexy arousal, the stuff that feels really pleasurable and feel really juicy and, and like build arousal and tension and, you know, you know, um, 
don't know, that's that's a different conversation. What, what I wanted to head towards was um, I often jokingly say to people like, "What happens when you ejaculate? You know, what are what are some of the physical characteristics of ejaculation?" And it's t- typically that isn't a very like I, I think it's a very open ended question, but like a lot of people don't know what goes on in their body when they ejaculate. So I kind of like have to fill in the blanks a little bit and say, look, you usually your your breathing quickens. Some people even hold their breath when they come. Um, you know, your muscles tighten up, you get myotonia, right? This tension in the body, constriction in the body. You might notice a sensation of pushing or squeezing or like holding tension. Um, your heart rate will go up because of that. Your temperature will go up because of that. Um, you know, you might notice clenching in the jaw, stiffness in the tongue, things like this, right? And 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 you, I usually get nods and people agreeing, like, yeah, that sounds like when I when I ejaculate. And I say, okay, take that cluster of characteristics out of the bedroom, right, out of the sexual context, and apply it to someone walking down the street. And you just saw this random guy, like all of a sudden, tense up, squeeze, like you know, heart rate goes up, temperature elevated, like tension through his jaw, like squeezing, convulsing, pushing. You would think that guy's having a panic attack, right? And so I often say that ejaculation is like a pleasurable panic attack. And, um, you know, I kind of joke about that, but I really appreciate you kind of speaking into like this idea of a traumagasm as well, because I think that's probably like the the nth degree of like that little quip that I have. So appreciate you you kind of um, observing that in your 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 client sessions. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's it's yeah, it totally puts it into context as well <laughs> for me. <laughs> Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. What are some strategies then? If you're working with someone, you're noticing that they're having like that experience, a traumagasm, for example. um, What are some ways of... I, I don't want to put words in your mouth necessarily, but it's like, how do you work with someone who who is you know having that experience? Mm, well, we'd, 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 we would slow down the uh, body work for starters, the intimate body work, and we'd rewind, rewind right back and work with ways of helping the nervous system calm when they feel that they're going into that. So bringing it back, bringing it back. So breathing techniques, body awareness, and in some cases, they might have had experiences in the past where they did have pleasure, where they did feel an orgasm without the panic setting in as well. So working on those as well, sort of, I, I, I'm an EMDR practitioner as well. So I, I work with EMDR um, to help. For people that don't know what that is, it's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it can work with following with the eyes. It can work with sound, which I very rarely work with sound. It can work with touch. 
self-touch or touch from someone else. And a touch is something I, I work a lot with because I am a touch practitioner, whether it's on the massage table or online, and I'm guiding people to touch themselves. Um, a lot of people think of EMDR as we're getting the traumatic memory and we're using the bilateral stimulation to sort of neutralize it. But we can also put positive stuff in there as well and reinforce the positive stuff. So I, I would start with a lot of that. So if they were feeling unsafe, I'd bring elements of safety in. So it's elements of safety from their own lives. So thinking of maybe someone in their life that they feel very safe with or a place that they feel safe or even if it's something made up from a movie or from a book or something from their imagination, finding that safety. And then moving into the pleasure aspects, thinking of times when they did feel pleasure and really expanding on that. And sometimes we don't even need to go into processing the traumatic memory and the negative stuff because we're resourcing all the positive things. The negative just seems to sort of melt away. If it doesn't, we come back and we reprocess the negative when, they, when they're resourced enough that they're not going to completely go into panic when we're doing it. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that kind of um, approach. There's a, um, you know, something that's related here that I wanted to like incorporate something we spoke about before, which is like hypo or um, hypersensitivity, um, especially of the glands. Because uh, I, I do work with, um, you know, a lot of men who who ejaculate before they want to. Right? I'm, I steer clear of, of pathological language like you know, yeah, premature ejaculation. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I've ranted yeah. about that before on my podcast. So, um, so I, I noticed that um, one of the things I work on with them is, is creating safety, right? Like one of the things that I, I kind of try to educate around is that like ejaculation is a survival response. You know, like ejaculation is a, yeah, we've got the, the sympathetic nervous system and activation of that, you know, can include the fight or flight response, which many people are familiar with, but there's also the freeze, the feed, and the, if you want to be vulgar about it, the fuck response, right? And so, and so I, I kind of, you know, share this idea that like you're one of the reasons why I don't want to give like a blanket statement, say this is the reason, because that's definitely not, you know, always the case but one of the reasons why you might be ejaculating very quickly is because you're entered into a survival response which is oftentimes a result of like not feeling safe or of feeling you know some trauma and having like this traumatic experience um you know manifesting again in this current situation um so like creating safety very often very very often for these guys that do come quite quickly helps them go oh i can like this is enjoyable. This is pleasure, right? And they they start to, and and something that I, I would love to speak to you about is like the. I often say that pleasure is a healing modality, like in and of itself. And so, like once they start to get to the point of like, oh, this is actually enjoyable. This is pleasurable for me, not just like, oh fuck, I just came quickly. Oh fuck, like it's I'm you know I've ruined the sex again, and like all the all the anxiety and fear that comes from having that survival response. The pleasure itself becomes this like really beautiful. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like, like kind of snowballs for them, right? Because yeah, the safety totally. and the pleasure and becomes this thing that they like, oh, this is enjoyable. This is relaxing. It's something I can kind of like, you know, do. And then there's other resistances to pleasure and things like that that, are, that also need to be worked on. But like, I've got to get to that point of it being like a pleasurable experience. Um, and the safety is a big part of that. And so, um, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I feel like I just ranted a little bit, but like, hopefully that like made sense was relevant to what you were sharing as well because i i do like this idea of, of bringing in safety quite a lot because it's, it's so 
And again, uh, for guys, especially like they're like, give me the physical fix, you know, like I need the strategy <laughs> yeah. for like lasting longer. And it's like, okay, man, I can give you the squeezing exercise, the breathing exercise, the things to do, but like the emotional aspect of it, the psychological aspect of it, it's going to have such a drastic impact on like the shift for you that like, that's my hope is that like they buy into that as well. Cause it is so valuable. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to chuck that on the table and see if that resonated. Totally resonates. Yeah, like that's one of the things when, when I'm working with ejaculation and people are, have this rapid ejaculation that they want to slow down. One of the first things I say to them is, in this session, you're probably going to ejaculate and I want you to promise one thing for me, that you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And they look at me like, what? And I go, I want you to enjoy I don't want you to try and stop it. If you feel it coming, I want you to come. I want you to really fucking enjoy it. I just feel it and their faces light up and they're like I've got permission because what comes from that when I when I'm digging deeper and I don't think they've realized this is that they often don't enjoy it and their partners don't realize that they're not enjoying it because they're so busy trying to stop it that there's no pleasure no one gets any pleasure in there yeah yeah I 100% agree with you on that and thank you so much for shining a light on that because you you're right there's a lot of guys are like you know, go from one space. This is something I've, I've, I've noticed is that a lot of guys who haven't done any sexuality work before will be like very concerned with not coming quickly. And so they're trying the whole time they're having sex to not come. And then when they do, they're like, fuck, did I last long enough? Like, it's just like this thing that they're trying to stop the whole time. And so then they'll be, you know, and then they, they want to do some work on that, right? They want to get better. And so they're like, all right, well, I'm going to, and I say not get better, you know, in terms of an ailment, but they want to get better at being you know, a better lover. And so they go and they maybe speak to like a neo-tantra practitioner, some sacred sexuality person. And in that space, there's also, you don't want to come because there's semen retention stuff, right? And it's like you, and you shouldn't, ejaculation's depleting for you and deleterious and you shouldn't be ejaculating very often. And so there's still, it's, it's a different men, you know, mentality, but it's still the same thought pattern which is like i shouldn't be ejaculating and so again there's like a lack of celebration of pleasure of enjoyment of the actual act of ejaculating so super appreciative of you acknowledging that and giving that permission to enjoy ejaculation because i do the exact same thing with my clients it's like i'm giving them you know practices and ways like expanding and and you know um lengthening the duration of of the sexual experience they're having whether that's penetrative or not and i say to them look i you know you'll probably come. There'll be times where I know you're kind of trying to to not and do other things. And that's totally fine because I want to get them to play in that really heightened state of arousal. And that's right before ejaculation for a lot of guys. So um, so I say, look, there'll be times you, you'll miss the mark and you, you will ejaculate. What I don't want to happen is for you to feel guilty about that. What I want to happen is for you to celebrate and enjoy those moments of ejaculation. So like, give them permission to be like, just fucking go for it. Like if you know you're going to come, don't try and stop yourself from doing it. Just like lean in and just enjoy the pleasure of it because it feels fucking good and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so thank you. I just have not really heard anyone else really say that. So I'm just a 100% celebrating you for, for acknowledging that and saying thank you for letting me just nerd out on it a bit with you. I, I, I cut you off before, so I appreciate you, you letting me just dive in. Oh, no, that's okay. Like from from listening to your podcasts before, Cam, and and going through your um your social media, I knew that we were aligned in that, like, <laughs> some of the things that you've said about things like this. I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I see so many people that have come from the tantra world with delayed ejaculation. They can't come when they want to, and they still have that that sort of 
tantra stuff in their head. Oh, I, I should last longer. I should last longer. I should. And they're sort of fighting with it. And it creates this, this place where they can't come. And I see that so often. They, they, they flip from one side to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I cut you off before, but you were talking about the, uh, so giving permission to, to the, you know, people on your table or particularly to the people that have penises, um, you know, the permission to ejaculate. Um, but that was part of the, the process of, you know, speaking about, uh, creating Crit. safety. Yeah. So I was, safety, I just wanted to, yeah. to let you finish that thought if that was okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Other ways of creating safety is giving permission to have emotions as well. Um, that has just been, it took me by surprise. Like a few years ago, I, I would just say it as a spiel, your, your emotions are welcome. You know, they can, you can experience them here, whatever comes up, whether it's sadness, anger, love, whatever comes up, just express it. And working with another person who um, struggled with delayed ejaculation, this was, and they didn't tell me at the start that that's what they come for. They just said they wanted to learn. And they learned and they ejaculated. And at the end, they said, I haven't ejaculated in years. And I realized it was because I was holding in all this anger for an ex-partner. And when you said I was allowed to be angry, I had this flash of anger and then I ejaculated and it felt great. Thank you. And I was just like, I was scratching my head. It was right at the start of my training and I didn't understand these things could happen. And yeah, I just thought that was so beautiful. Um, another thing that creates safety is boundaries. And I think this flips right back to what we were saying before is sometimes when cis men walk into my practice and I say, okay, so we're going to do some body work or we're going to do some uh, body scan on online. Are there any parts of your body that you, you don't want to, you don't want to go, what, what are your boundaries? And they go, no, nah, no, nah, I don't have boundaries. I'm a man. I don't have boundaries. And usually when people say that to me, they have boundaries. They have lots more boundaries than <laughs> what they're letting on. And it's usually around the anus, and that is the first place I will ask. Yeah. So I'll say, well, do you want to do some anal exploration today? And they go, oh, no, keep away from my butt. No, 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 we're not going there. And then with a little bit more expl exploration, it, they might not want their ears touched or they might not want their feet touched or they, you know, they might be um, funny about their elbows. <laughs> but this thing that I'm, I'm a man, I'm not supposed to have boundaries, especially around anything sexual. Yes. Yeah. I've spoken to several sex workers on my podcast and they have all shared a very similar story to what you just shared then, which is like, they'll speak to their male clients, but like, Hey, so what are you not into? Right. What's off the table? And they, all the guys go, nah, fuck nothing. I'm into it all. Like, give it, you know, give it to me, give me the full thing. And, uh, and the sex workers joke like, well, I'll just go get my strap on then, shall we? And, uh, they go, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, so there are things that you're not into. And like, yeah, I think, and so I think that speaks to this idea of like, well, guys shouldn't have any boundaries. Like, we should always be up for sex. We should be like this, you know, I use the word here very intentionally, but we should just be perverts, right? And into like all the, you know, sexual deviant stuff. And like, that's kind of a rhetoric that's used to talk about men, especially men that watch porn as well. It's like guys are just like these dirty, you know, porn crazed, like, you know, sexual deviants. And it's just like, and so I think guys buy into that. You know, I think guys like hear that rhetoric about them and, you know, masculinity and they go, well, okay, cool. That must be me then. And so they, and so you get experiences that you've just so beautifully shared of them being like, oh, I've got no boundaries. Right. And then they quickly realize they do. Um, 
in quite a funny way. I find that so funny. Um, I don't know, but maybe that's just my 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 sense of humor. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you you um, sharing that story as well because I think more, I think you know that's just so common, and I think more guys need to kind of like hear that. And there's something there that's just slipped my mind, but we can circle back around to it if I if I remember it. So, but we're talking about safety, and I, I appreciate you bringing up a bunch of different ways of kind of creating safety. Emotions is a great one um, that I really resonate with as well, like uh, allowing emotions because um, something that has been, and I, th- I think my partner will be okay with me sharing this. I think I've shared it before. Maybe I won't share it because I'm not 100% sure, but like allowing your partner to express emotions as well, say here as well, like in general. So like if you're, and I, I have spoken to clients around this of like, oh, my partner, because that, you know, the guys that I'm working with, they, they are wanting to be more exploratory sexually and they want to like hold space for more things. And that's kind of like what they're interested in and why they're coming to work with me. And so then they start to like, if they've got a partner or if they're, you know, casually seeing someone, then because they're kind of feeling more comfortable and confident holding more things and they're asking more questions and they're kind of like allowing for more of that, they'll, they recognize that their partner has pretty, emotional responses to some things and they go hey I, and then they come back to me after it's like hey man like you know my partner you know cried during this particular thing or my partner had like a laughing fit at this particular thing like what is going on here and like how do i navigate that my how does you know how does that factor into like the the safety that i'm creating and the, the the sexual experience um so i think not only allowing for emotions for him but also allowing emotions for his partner and being able to hold space for that is like a big piece of the safety puzzle as well. Because sometimes our partner's emotions can make us feel unsafe. Totally. Yeah. And, and sometimes their um, reactions to things like say yes or no to something. Like uh, that comes up a lot in my practice, like people who struggle to say yes and no. So calling their boundaries, I do a lot of work around that, the yes, no game. Mm, and then there's nice. the flip side of hearing a yes or a no. Like some people hearing the yes is scary. Some people hearing the no is really triggering. And being able to sit with the sensations and separating out the sensations of the body from the label of the emotion or the the, the judgment that comes up as well, that can be really useful for for this, lots of things. Really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a um, you know, uh, related to like getting a yes from your partner. Like, I think you know, there's lots of reasons why we don't ask for what we want, right? But I, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we don't ask is the fear of getting a yes, right? Um, of course, there's fear of getting a no. And like I said, there's many other reasons. I don't want to get into that, but I want to speak specifically to this idea of like, oh, what happens if my partner says yes? Like, <laughs> oh, shit, now I've got to like do this thing that I have expressed a desire around, right, that I want to do. And like, you know, what if it isn't what I thought it would be, you know, what if I, what if I have asked to do it and now it's like not super pleasurable for me? Like, you know, what if I do it and it is super pleasurable for me? You know, I think I, I speak to um, a lot of guys around like their fear of pleasure. And I often think that men have a big fear of pleasure uh, that, you know, and I make a distinction here and I do it all the time. is like gratification versus pleasure. Guys are very, very good at sexual gratification, not very good at sexual pleasure. And I don't want to get into the nuances of that just yet, but like, the idea of like, oh, if I experience too much pleasure, I'll come quickly, right? Like, or if I experience too much pleasure, like that's too effeminate, that's too like 
it's women's are the one that, that experience multiple orgasms and have pleasure and like they, you know, writhe in ecstasy and all that sort of stuff. Like that's a very like, it's coded very feminine in like our heteronormative binary kind of like way of thinking about sexual experiences, um, at least for the, a lot of men that I work with anyway. Um, and so like there's this fear of like, if I experience a lot of pleasure, what does it mean about my masculinity? Right. And so, um, and like, or, and, and beyond that as well, it's like, you know, if I, have too much pleasure it'll make me come quite quickly and again i'm less of a man if i come quickly things like that so um so this fear of pleasure is something that i notice pop up you know kind of underneath uh, a lot of other things and i'm curious if like if you notice something similar with your clients around pleasure and reluctance for it. Oh, that's interesting that's not something that i've really sort of thought a lot about that what you were describing then like when i'm working with people who like, like I say, I work a lot with people who've had traumas, whether they're calling it a trauma or they're not. So sometimes there can be a lot of resistance to the, the gratification side of it as well. But if there is some gratification there, then I'm using that to help them experience pleasure in other places. So we'll, we'll go a little bit into the gratification and then we'll come out and we'll try what does this touch feel like here? What does this touch feel like here? And sort of spreading it around. And with the people who have a lot of trauma, if they can access that gratification, a lot can't, but but some can. If they can, then we can use that to help them move through the healing process as well. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm, that's really lovely. I like that idea of like kind of leveraging everything. Yeah, leveraging gratification to to kind of get them into their pleasure. And I, I think that's um, if I kind of reflect on the way I work with some of my clients, I think I've done something similar. Yes, for example, like a lot of guys, you know, that I work with, I talk to them around like you know masturbation, and I like you know recognize that I have a very broad, diverse self pleasure practice myself, and I like advocate very strongly for that for other people. But I know that some of my clients like are very, you know, it's very rudimentary and it's very like straightforward and they've been doing it for a long time and it's very habitual. And so I try to like, just like leverage the way that they've been gratifying themselves for a long time and go, okay, let's just change one tiny thing about this. You know, let's like, and a simple thing is just add some loop, you know, to the way I, I don't give them any other practices. I say, I'm not going to change the way you watch porn. I'm not going to change the way that you, you know, the position that you're in or how long you do it for. Just add some loop and see what happens, you know? And like, so leveraging like their existing patterns of gratification to just like, you know, shift towards some pleasure, right? Because, you know, oft- oftentimes when they add some loop, it does feel more pleasurable, you know? And so it's like, yeah, I like that idea of like just, you know, utilizing kind of the the experience they have of gratification already to then spread it out into another part of their body or to to elicit like a bit more of a diverse experience of pleasure and, and kind of create those new pathways. Yeah, go with what's working and then build. That was that's that's how I started my orgasmic practice, my my new orgasmic practice, because up until I did sex logical body work, I was <laughs> just rubbing away quick oof, off we go <laughs> mm, mm. yeah and i mean and people do that right yeah yeah totally i mean my arousal trajectory prior to getting into this line of work and on all the i talk about sexological body work a lot i've done many other um trainings and practices but prior to that um my sex drive it was like the traditional men's sex drive it was like i'm up for it 
Let's uh, anybody, everybody. Okay, I'm up for it. I'm going to fuck. I'm going to come really quickly. And then I'm going to be not interested anymore. And that was my self-pleasure practice as well. And and to to get out of that mindset of this, you know, quick high trajectory and then (laughs) um, steep sort of trajectory of of orgasm and then disinterest. Um, just changing one little thing at a time because I, I got all these new practices to learn, you know, do some movement, do some breathing, make some sound. And, and I, was, I can't do all that. Just change one little thing. The position I'm lying in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's really great. I think that's a great piece of advice as well for people that are listening is like change one, you know, tiny thing about your, your self-pleasure practice tonight you know the next time you do it like just change one thing and then um yeah see what happens i think that and i think like eliciting eliciting or soliciting feedback from yourself right to be like oh did i actually enjoy that or was that like eh, i could take that or leave it you know like just asking yourself those questions like oh that was fun and new and i quite enjoyed that maybe i'll do more of that you know or uh that didn't really do it for me it was a bit uncomfortable but i gave it a shot cool and i i think like that like the mentality that i, I try to like cultivate with my clients is experimentation you know like get feedback from yourself about things you know like if you did something and it didn't really do it for you that's just as amazing as if you did something and it like really did it for you you know because you've got information about your sexual response now you've got something to to do right you've got something to 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 act upon to integrate into your future self-pleasuring or your future partnered play you know um, experiences like whether you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it. So, um, yeah, that's something I want to encourage people that are listening to this. Like, just change one thing about your your masturbation routine tonight. Totally. I'd like to add to that as well because if we, if we try something, especially when it's by ourselves and we don't really feel much, it doesn't really do much for us, but it's not painful. I'm, I'm going with it's not painful or, or harmful, but it, it's just a little bit, eh, doesn't really do it for me. I encourage people to try it again and then try it again and try it again because there's this, this fake it till you make it mindset. We can actually build the neural pathways to make that thing more pleasurable. And what I've learned over the past eight, nine years of, of, of learning about all these things and, and trying these things myself before I, <laughs> I bring them to my clients is so much more is possible. Like we can really expand on our experience. Like we can build these pleasurable sensations in places that weren't there before and when people sort of scratch their heads and and look at me and go yeah but it it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good there's the rubber hand experiment you know about the rubber hand experiment cam no i don't so where um no so it's where someone has their arm behind um a covering so they can't see their arm and they put a rubber arm there instead and they guide them in some embodiment practices. And as they're stroking the arm of the fake arm, they're stroking the real arm to the point where the brain tricks itself into thinking that that rubber arm is their arm. And then they stop touching their arm and they just do things to the rubber arm and they feel it. Ah, uh, yeah. And yep. we did something very similar in my training. And I don't have my cocks around here, <laughs> where we, we got these um, soft cocks, these are 
sort of semi-erect cocks and there weren't enough penises in the training to practice the soft cock massage. So we did this practice where we held the cock onto our, our mons or over our clitorises, the people that had them. And we did this embodiment practice to connect with the cock, imagining the nerves growing. And then the person that we were working with, that we're practicing with, they did the soft cock massage. And some people had real cocks to work with. Some people had the, the um, soft cocks, the uh, rubber cocks. And I was just in my element. I mean, I'm, I'm gender fluid, so I'm, I'm part boy anyway. So just seeing this beautiful cock between my legs was like, wow. But then being guided into this practice of actually feeling my cock being touched. And there is this sort of the reverberation of when you've got something on your clitoris and, and, and it's being touched, then you can feel some sensation in that, that, that bringing the imagination and the awareness and the breath right down, I could feel that 100%. So I encourage anyone, if it doesn't feel all that great, if it's not hurtful or harming you, keep going and keep trying it because it'll, it will, it will grow. It will grow. The sensations. Will Thank grow. you. Thank you for, um, for advocating for that. And I, I definitely, I often joke, you know, you should try everything twice and probably twice is, you know, a minimum, you know, um, and this idea of like when, when you're in, when you're in a heightened state of arousal, things feel different than when you're in like a low state of arousal, you know? So yeah, I'm appreciative of you advocating for that. And I love this idea of, you know, something that I'd love to see research around is, is exactly what you've just described is like the sensations that we can feel from tools. So there's some really fascinating research with monkeys around the use of rakes to rake up food. And when they were hooked up to this equipment that studied their, you know, brain, um, I don't know, signals, let's say, the, um, they were able to, to notice that like the way that the monkey thought about its arm was the same the way that it thought about its arm when it was also holding the rake. So it's like, the rake got incorporated into the body, the, the, the monkey's um, nervous system. And it's like neurology, like incorporated that. And, and, you know, and I was like, okay, there's some fascinating, you know, research there just in general. But then like, could we apply that to like the use of sex toys? You know, could we apply that same thing oh, to the I use of, yeah, yeah, exactly what you're <laughs> describing is like, you know, this is part of our body. We feel sensation like the rubber hand experiment with that idea of like using a tool and then like, yeah, I've, I've kind of read a little bit about this and I'd love to speak to um, some avid users of strap-ons, for example, about the pleasure that they might feel in the strap-on from, you know, the, from, from, you know, it being a part of their like sexual experience. So, uh, and I have read online from, you know, particularly there's a sub kind of group of lesbian, you know, women who do feel a lot of pleasure from their strap-on use, not only psychologically, but like physically from the strap on even though it's not you know anatomically a part of their body um so yeah i just think that's like a super fascinating like don't know area of study and i'd love to see like more done on it um because yeah i think there's like yeah this incorporation of these these you know of technology you know or of of these tools into our nervous system and into our sexual experiences and, and eliciting pleasure from that um yeah oh that, that i just find that super interesting so i'm just going to end myself there otherwise i'll be you know rambling about it for the rest of the day it is super interesting and, and it's reminding me of um mapping as well so you probably do a lot of mapping in your practice 
And sort of bringing us full circle, because remember we were talking about hyper and hypersensitivity. That's how I would work with that mapping. So mapping out the sensations. So a millimeter can make such a huge amount of difference on a penis, on a vulva, internally on an anus and the sensation that that can bring. And I think, I think it works with a similar concept to sort of imagining something else having sensation is as we're mapping, we're having that feedback loop and we're building sensation in those areas. We can numb down pain. We can bring pleasurable sensation back up and we can sort of take uncomfortable sensations down by just bringing awareness and breath to. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate Parts. Appreciate you speaking into that. And and Lorraine, I'm mindful of time. So I, I do want to say um, thank you so much for just having a chat with me and, and sharing about your work and um, offering some practical advice in there as well. I think it's always like really important to offer some practical stuff in the podcast. So mm-hmm. thank you for, for yeah. offering some strategies and some things there that people can take away. Um, and I just feel really grateful that we got to sit down and have this conversation. So yeah, really celebrating you and, and just really saying thanks. Thank you so much, Cam. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So, like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.